Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Jesus said to the disciples, About that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were here, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know what day of your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. If you would like, I'm going to get to it in just a minute, hopefully you have in your bulletins a little diagram that looks like that, has uh, Mark and Q at the top, Matthew and Luke at the bottom, and then the letters M and L and some arrows pointing around. We're going to get to that in just a minute. This gospel can be rather confusing, or perhaps um, it can be kind of hard to listen to. You hear it, and in my opinion, as you read it, and I've talked to some other people, it seems like there seems to be fear that goes into it right away. Uh, What's going to happen? Uh, Is the rapture for real? And about a year ago, I talked about the rapture, so I really don't want to rehash that, but to say uh, the thoughts in which what the rapture is, at some point in the future, one person is gone, one is left, Uh, is just not a biblical idea. It is taking these various points, this is one of the scriptures, and creating something uh, really to instill fear in people. And so this scripture was never intended to mean what is going to happen in the future. I've seen bumper stickers on cars. Maybe you've seen them too. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Has anyone seen that? Yeah. Right? There's a whole series of books out there left behind in which the opening uh, happens and people are on a flight and the pilot is gone all of a sudden. (laughs) The co-pilot, Raymond Steele, is left and they have to somehow get this plane to land when half the people, you just have clothes left and half the people um, are still there wondering what is going on, right? This is not about the rapture and what's going to happen. And so it always helps to know what sparked this conversation about Je- that Jesus is having with these people. 
before. We, in fact, not too long ago, we had very similar scripture uh, also in Luke, um, in which the similar question was asked. And so in Matthew, this isn't a standalone scripture, but it comes from a conversation Jesus had. He's walking out of the temple, and uh, he says, in three days, not one stone will be left on, on top of one another, which is very similar to what we had from Luke not too long ago. But that came from the Sadducees asking uh, about the resurrection. And so then Jesus had a response that was about what, essentially what happens after you die. And it's not about what happens after you die, but our faith is more about what we, how to have life before we die. And now here we have a similar question that isn't in our scripture, but really comes at the beginning of chapter 24. Jesus walks out of the temple and says, not one stone will be left upon another. And then we have a long, and then so people ask, when will this be? And now there's a long response that Jesus gives, that this is only part of that long response. So real quick, just because I think that we are a uh, biblically illiterate society in many ways, or where did the Gospels come from, uh, if you want to look at this real quick, and you can take it home with you and put it on your fridge because it's that exciting, <laughs> or when it's cold and you need kindling for a fire tonight, you can use it for that too, whatever you love. The Gospels were not all each written in a vacuum away from themselves. Mark was written first, most scholars believe, 65-70. Matthew and Luke, written about maybe 80 to 90, somewhere in there. John after that. Matthew and Luke had access to Mark. Does that make sense? So you will find certain material that Matthew and Luke and Mark all share. So if you see on this diagram... See, so you have Mark at the top, and see how you have arrows going to Matthew and Luke, right? Because right. Matthew or Mark, Matthew and Luke used Mark. And then you have uh, certain material that Matthew and Luke share, but that are not in Mark. Does that make sense? Yep. This question is one of those things that Matthew and Luke share, but are not in Mark. Most scholars believe that comes from a source called Q. Do you see Q at the top? Has anybody ever heard of the Gospel of Q? No. Because it does not exist. It is something that scholars believe existed, but they actually don't have a copy of it. Does that make sense? Because there is so much familiarity between Matthew and Luke, they believe they must have had another document that they shared, but they don't have that document. Tracking with me? All right? Then, Matthew and Luke each have their own separate material that they use. That's why you have M off to one side, material that is unique to Matthew. L on the other side, material that is unique to Luke. Does that make sense? Right? Really, it's just informative. How the Gospels were used in conjunction with each other to write what we have. Now, what do you notice is missing from here? John. John. Because John was written later and is totally different than the other Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels. It means similar. 
John is by itself, has a totally different feel to it. The scripture we have today, most scholars think, comes from the document or the source Q that we do not have. Right? But it's so much about contextually what's going on in that time of Matthew that they would decide this story needs to be passed on what is going on in that time that they would need to hear these words. Does that make sense? I know it's a little confusing. I'm sorry. I'm trying my best here. So the question is, when is this going to happen? The whole conversation of the scripture we get today, when are these things going to occur? Or how long will it last is really more specifically the question that is asked at the beginning of Matthew. How long is this going to last? The reason why they're asking that question, does anyone remember what was going on in the Gospel of Luke that we talked about a little bit ago? It's okay, I don't remember my sermon, second service to first service, let alone four weeks ago. The temple was, was destroyed. People were dying. So what happens after you die? Things are not how they thought they were going to be. There was the Jewish revolt. Romans came in and just wiped everybody. We're wiping people out. Similar thing going on in Matthew. The temple has been destroyed. Same period of time they're talking about. Maybe Matthew is written a little bit later. So the question becomes, how long is this going to go on for? Does that make sense? They're in the midst of heartache. They're in the midst of turmoil. They're in the midst of the world being destroyed around them, the most sacred building they have, the temple is no, is no longer in existence. There's just remnants of it. How long is this going to last? Has anybody ever wondered, looked around the world, and thought the world is on fire and wondered, how long is this going to last? Right? So we look at what Christ says then, what Jesus says then, and ask ourselves, what does that mean for us today? How long is this going to last? This answer that we hear today about people working in the field, all that stuff, is part of a long answer that Jesus gives. It's not the only way Jesus talks about it, but he actually talks about it in four parables. He first talks about a slave working, the master leaving, the master coming back unexpectedly. And what is the master expecting the slave to be doing when the master returns? Be working, right? Be doing their job. Then Jesus tells another parable about ten bridesmaids. Five bridesmaids have oil, five bridesmaids what? Don't. Don't have oil. They weren't prepared. They didn't, have what, they didn't do what they should have been doing. Then Jesus tells another parable. This one is a parable of giving talents to slaves. And they get different amounts. And the slaves, after a certain amount of time, come back. And the one who was given most, and you know, had, had the most to return. Not because he was given the most, but he had done something with it. And they finally get to the last uh, slave who was given two talents. And what did that person do with the talents the master had given them? Buried them. What did they not do? They didn't do anything, right? They were just idle. 
And Jesus ends this section with the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, in which he says, as you do to the least of these, you did to me. Right before that, right, Jesus says, you visited me, you fed me, you clothed me. And the, all the people are wondering, well, when did we do all of those things? And Jesus says, as you did to the least of me, so you did to me. I don't know when the end of the world is going to come. Does anybody know? I don't know. You know what I do know? What we're supposed to be doing in the meantime. That's what it's clear about Scripture. I don't know exactly what the future holds. Our hope is in the end, Christ wins. We are waiting for that day, right? We're in Advent, we're waiting. Yet, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. Can we all agree the world doesn't work right? People are out of hope. What can't wait? Hope. How do people receive hope? Us being active in the world. I don't know what the future holds, so to speak. But I know in the meantime, we are not expected to just wait around passively for that day to come. This answer we get from Jesus is part of this whole longer answer. It's why so often when you're reading scripture, what do you always, what are the three most important rules? Yeah, you sick of me saying that yet? Because if you just pick this scripture out by itself, can you see how you get a totally different meaning of it? But if you read it within the whole context of this passage, of this scripture, of this chapter, it's what are we doing in the meantime? Something's going to occur. I don't know. Our hope is Christ wins. God wins. All will be saved. Can we not worry about that? And can we live the life we're called to live? Can we fold? Can we, can we feed? Can we visit? Can we clothe? Can we advocate for those who don't have a voice? Can we call out injustices where we see it? Can we make sure everybody knows that they have a place, that they belong? Can we speak to those who have become hopeless? And to those of us who have put our hope in the wrong things. Anybody ever do that? It's not just about being hopeless, right? It's about hoping that if I am just stronger, then we can win, right? It's hoping that if my bank account has more money, then I am better. It's hoping that violence will bring about peace. Hope for the hopeless. Hope where our hope has been misplaced. Those are things that cannot wait while we are waiting. <laughs> Hence, we are not passively waiting. We are actively waiting. You have been freed from fear. This is what I love about the confession forgiveness that we read this morning together. 
you have been freed from fear. How many of us live in fear? Way too many. And I'm willing to bet we don't fully admit it either. To be freed for love of neighbor. Love of the hopeless. Love who have misplaced their hope. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.